Sometimes on a Sunday morning, it's, it's hectic. I know you wouldn't believe this, but sometimes the technology doesn't work out right. You know, you have issues in the morning and you're trying to get ready. And so it feels, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like I just need a breath. Uh, the whole point of this part is I'm really glad that you're here. And I, I don't know whether you're a Christian, you know, on the fence against God, dragged here against your will. I don't, I don't know. Um, I do care, however, that doesn't change what I'm about to say to you. And that is, uh, we're going through the book of John. And the point of this is that I hope what you hear wouldn't just fill your head with more information, but that it would touch a deeper part of you, like the forever part of you that God made, and that you would grow in, in believing in him and believe in him enough that you would actually follow Jesus in your life. And then you'd be so grateful for the hope that you get from following Jesus that the people around you would know that you're grateful and why you're grateful. So instead of just jumping into it, let's just, let's just stop a second. There's a lot of great things going on. It's November. It's starting to get cold. The leaves are changing. That means a lot of things for a lot of people. But it seems like right now it means Christmas is here and the holidays, right? It's, oh, geez, yeah. Or Christmas candy's already been out for like a month. And it's, you've already had 17 Reese's Christmas trees, you know? And it's, uh, you haven't had turkey yet. Um, but thank you. You know, Mike, Becky, Lisa, thank you for what you're doing. Because right now, this month, we, we acknowledge the homeless people around us, the, in, in our culture and humanity and, and the problem that's there. And, and to say Jesus loves you and do nothing to help him, it's really short-sighted. So thanks for what, what you guys do. If you want to know more about it, if you're like, agape, what? I don't know about that. Like, there's some paper somewhere around. Yeah, there you go. There's a flyer, information about it. Um, it's, it's an awesome thing that God's up to and faithful people are involved in it. And there always need more faithful people. And so within our own church, guys, it's a fun time. We have Christmas parties and dinners and, and the, the women are having an event. And that is all awesome because together is important. Together is important. And, and you can spur each other on. We talk about this in my house a lot, like spurring our, our, each other on to love and good works. We're, we're doing this for, so you don't do that alone. So I'm grateful for anyone watching online, but you're missing out. So if that's all you're doing, Go somewhere where you can be part of spurring each other on, okay? All that to say, let me just pray. Let's get in. Father, your words, speak them to me, Lord, um, and let me share them uh, from my heart. I pray that they would know you more, not just about you, but know you more, that it would cause probably more questions than answers and launch uh, discovery and prayer, meditation, thought, and action, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, John 4, guys, we're, it's going to be 17 years through John. We're going slow. So, so please understand, John 4, we're going to come upon a story, guys. If you've been studying in the Bible, you heard of the woman at the well, if you've ever been in Bible studies. Well, I'm going to do a really poor job of covering that. We're going to come back to it. But there's some points that I want to make to you and, and just some things I'm kind of excited about. And forgive me, it's been a hectic week, and I've been with lots of pastors talking about the world and about the gospel and about people. A couple days this week out of town doing that. Uh, the title of today's sermon, because I think it's funny, thirsty is what I'm calling it. It's not important, but it will be later. Turn in your Bibles, John 4, verse 1. You need to see this. Don't take some knucklehead's word for it, okay? John 4, verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Let's stop there. If you weren't here, right, when we talked about it last week, there was this dynamic happened. There was John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, as we would call him, right? He and his followers were baptizing people for the repentance of sin. The metaphor of like, I can be cleansed from my sin because of who God is. And people were coming to him. Well, Jesus and his followers, by the way, some of those guys used to follow John the Baptist, they were also baptizing people in the same area. So much that jealousy arose a little bit from the followers of John, who were like, what are these guys and what do they think they're doing? 
Uh, we, we got through a story where one of the Pharisees named Nicodemus came to talk to him. The religious folks don't like it. For some reason in religion, somewhere along the way, we think we've been deputized to be the protector of God of the universe. It still happens. Everyone's guilty until proven innocent when it comes to faith. You tell me something new, I automatically think you're lying until some time passes and God proves otherwise. We are the police of doctrine and truth. And I understand where that can be important, but you can see how it can get in the way. It was getting in the way. So John had to really correct them and and put them back in their place. But needless to say, what Jesus was doing was gaining attention. Because not only was he talking, he was doing things. There was miraculous signs. There was ministry happening right in these areas. So first of all, he had to leave Jerusalem, go out where he's baptizing in in the hillsides, right? And then now that's even becoming a little bit, uh, time to move on from here. So now when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees were kind of checking in on him, and then in verse two, it says, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. So you can see that, right? Jesus didn't even do the baptizing. Most of the time, it was the followers with him that were, were doing that. So he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Well, this doesn't make a lot of sense to us unless we look at this map. And it's kind of small, but you know, anyway, it's kind of small. But if you take a look here, I want you to see something. Oops, I just connected there. Uh, what I want you to see right here is I got a little red light. So we got Judea right here, right? If you're on this side, if you're on this side, Judea, Judea, depends on how you like to say it. He was in here somewhere. He wanted to get to Galilee up here. Galilee up here, you guys see that? Okay, logic would tell you, you go, the, the shortest distance between two points is what? You guys remember this from school? A straight line, right? The straight line would take them through a place called Samaria in the green. Do you see that? Well, there's a problem with Samaria for good God-fearing Jews, and especially for somebody who's a rabbi. What's the problem? Side note, if you're new to us, I'm not asking this rhetorically. I love when you help me out. I'm not a very good preacher without your help, so I, I want you to be interactive in this. What's the problem with Samaria? What's that? They worshiped idols, something over here. Unclean. Yeah. It's full of Samaritans. Yes, yes. Half-breeds. Yeah. Right? So if you look at the history, right? You guys remember the Babylonians? You heard of the exile where they, they, they came to the land. They, they conquered. They took all the best, the cream of the crop, right? And they took them home with them. And the people who were less favorable, they left behind. And we know that vulnerable people are vulnerable prey. So the land, new people came into the land with different ideas from different backgrounds. And they said, ooh, she's pretty. That's kind of how that went down. Oh, he's handsome. And they intermarried. And then what ended up happening is, um, I know it's not very PC to say that, but their cultures blended. It became messy. And they sort of put all their cultures, their religions in a blender, made a smoothie, and then pulled it out and said, this is our new faith. And so there were some Jewish pieces, and, right? And then, and then the Assyrians made it worse. And then you just have time and time again. But it's, it's unclean. It's the half-breeds. It's the traitors. It's the idolaters. It's the people who, who uh, we don't mess with them. And if Jesus was trying to make his name in a Jewish culture that was so concerned with spiritual cleanliness... This was the worst move. As a matter of fact, it was very common for most of the Jews to go on a different path. And a lot of them, they would even go like across the Jordan River. They would take a path and some would cut through a path here to bypass most of Samaria so they wouldn't have to deal with the Samaritans. Even though apparently there was a good Samaritan Jesus talks about, right? But that we, that's far, few and far in between. So do you see what happened? So Jesus did something very weird here. That's what I want you to know. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Now this this is the same place in the Old Testament that was called Shechem, right? So you can actually, I had a list, but I don't want to bore you with it today. But you can go through most of a lot of Abraham. This is like the first place he came. 
He came to this area. This is the area where he was settling. So it was the place where God did a lot of things. There's going to be Jacob's well here. There's a lot of, there's a lot of, as a matter of fact, I mean, a lot of, there was bones buried of the, of the fathers of the faith in this area. And even though it was Samarit, Samarian land now, right? At one time, it was really blessed by God. And now it's become forsaken because of the uncleanliness of the people. Sychar itself is said, smart people said this. I don't know that it's true, but it makes sense. It, it's, the word actually means drunkenness. So it, they changed the name almost in a, an insulting way, like those drunkards land. Starting to get the picture there? And it was near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. So it's a little odd. It's a little odd that he did this especially if he's trying to gain the favor of the religious folk who are already trying, starting to say, I'm watching you, buddy. And now you're going to all the unclean people? See, Jacob's well was there too. Verse six. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. We've come to believe that to be noon. Now, a woman from Samaria, oh, Wow. A woman from Samaria, okay, we got some danger here, came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. You guys heard this before? Okay, we're gonna keep going. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So there, Jesus is by the well. Guys, I'm gonna hang and he's laying against the well. I mean, this land, it's probably a little warm, okay? A little warm, a little dry noon. It's been a long hike. He's thirsty, tired, hungry. The disciples go into town to get food. He hangs out. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, I'm sorry, a woman came in to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. As a matter of fact, guys, what, what were the rules for a rabbi in speaking to a woman in public? Right? That's a, big no-no. That's a no-no. Okay, a no-no. And as a matter of fact, I read something saying they couldn't even talk to their wives in the public later, honey. Like, okay. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, guys, this is so rich, man. We can talk about this for the next three years. Maybe we will, but, but today we'll keep going, okay? Uh, living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and, and did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you, are, are, the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Okay. So that, there's a lot of words there. Jesus is sitting. In hindsight, we know. We know that, that Jesus is so patient. He was so connected to the Father and the very power, right? The power that lived inside him that he was aware of the ebb and flows of what was going on around him. He was, a, uh, he was aware of what people in church circles might call divine appointments or, or God-scheduled interventions, right? Or interactions with people. So, he knew, I'm going to stay here. This woman came 
at a very uncommon time to come to the well. He had a conversation with her. And then he said things she had no idea what he was talking about. She kept going back to water. She's thinking he's talking about some kind of smart water or something, like that has electrolytes. That wasn't around Maybe it's infused with a little lavender or something. I mean, what is this going to be, this living water? All right, I've seen that at Costco, right? Okay, but, and then he, he kind of drops this on her. Well, go get your husband. We'll talk more about, uh, well, I don't have a husband. Because I, I know, as a matter of fact, you've had five husbands, and this guy, number six, you're not even married to. So I, I, I jokingly say this, okay? Please understand something. You guys are encountering a couple things. You have a culture who's shifting. And you don't like it because the culture you grew up with when you were a kid and a teenager is shifting whether towards God or away from God. There's lots of things that are happening you're uncomfortable with, and so am I. The grayer our hair gets, the less hair that we have, the less in touch we are with what was the popular culture. Fair enough? And it has nothing to do with Christianity. And then you have the peace of the world that's going away from God. And so, jokingly, you know, they call everyone who's a certain demographic boomers. Well, I like to talk about the boomer cloud, and that's, and that's this idea that, that that mentality sucks everyone in, even us, even us like Gen Xers, right, as we get older. We start to share those opinions like kids, right, like mullets. What's up with that, right? Except for you had a mullet, and you had a perm in the 70s, okay? So, so you do crazy things, and we want to make it a God thing. But I think there's something that we can learn and a, a commonality we had. It's something funny when I studied about this. Rather than digging into the living water, something I want to talk to you about, something I want to take a break to stop, because what's the rush is, is my wife always questions me. Why are we rushing through these books, she says. I'm like, that's a really good point. Because she goes, what are we going to do next? I'm like, another book? What after that? Another book? So just a book of the Bible till we die, or there's a topic. So what's the rush to the next book? Let's, let's the Lord teach us all he can in this one. Right? Make sense? Okay. So here's a word, thirsty. Now, now, what, now what's happening here is there's sort of this quite literal thing. This woman's like, you're thirsty, right? What's, what's a literal definition of being thirsty? It, it's a desire for something to drink. Uh, and, and, you know, what is that? What can that feel like? What is it? Dehydrated, right? Your mouth feels, I'm a little bit like that right now, as a matter of fact, you know? It depends on how bad it is. You can have all these effects. Well, there's, there's a slang term, okay? So I'm sure you guys haven't heard of the slang term, but there's a slang term that's being used now called thirst, being thirsty, okay? Now, for the boomer cloud, let's define this. Okay, the, the slang word has to do, and you guys correct me, help me out, help me out if you think this is wrong. But as I understand it, and as I can see it, this, uh, this metaphor or this slang can say a person's thirst is their desire. And now, in a more common way, they'll be like, well, that, that guy's quit being so thirsty, right? What kind of things are you talking about if someone's being really thirsty? Right. No, no, not that, not that way, but thirsty in the slang. Just be honest, because I, you know me, I was, what is it? Well, what, well, yeah, but I mean, in, in slang. It's like, Jaden, quit being so thirsty, man. You got, okay. Well, help me out over here. Simp, right, another one, simp. Okay, so then what's, what's it mean to be thirsty? When you see one, someone being thirsty, what are they doing? Looking for attention, yeah, yeah. They want it, right? Like, like oh, man, like a lot of times, so it's, it's this, as much as someone could be described as salivating for something, being thirsty, it, it describes a serious want or need, right? And in the culture now, in the slang term, if you watch YouTube, you'll see the show up. If you substitute at the high school like I do, you'll see that. A lot of times it's a guy acting towards a girl or a girl acting towards the guy. Quit being so thirsty. And the idea is that they're overzealous. What they want is attention. Specifically, a lot of times it's used for sexual attention. Right, So the girl's dressing this way, this guy's acting this way, and when they start selling out all they care about, then they're called a, a simp, right? So, so this is, what's funny is you might make fun of that, but they're right on. That slang is right on to the metaphor of what Jesus is talking about. Because every one of us, now you might not, 
Now we can, we can put that all on, on sexual desire, but everyone wants to be seen as valuable, important, and wanted. Anyone like, no way? I like everyone to hate me and me to, me to look at myself like a piece of trash. Well, that's called lying, and that's a whole other sin. That's another sermon. We'll talk about that later. Okay. What's that? It's not an old concept, right? So, so this overzealous desire, and you'll see it by desperate actions. I've, done, I've been there. You act de- in a desperate way, drastic, right? You, you try to draw attention, And so she's like, oh, you're thirsty, you want a drink? And he says, no, you're thirsty. All mankind is thirsty. If you understood what I was talking about, this thirst that you have, this desire to be accepted, to be loved, to feel full, I'm the answer. What you need doesn't come from Costco or this well. It's not at Trader Joe's, as delicious as their bottled water is, right? Yeah. So look at this a second. Let's a rabbi meets a single woman with a past alone at a well in the desert in the middle of the day. Think about that a second. A rabbi. He meets a single woman with a past alone at a well in the desert in the middle of the day. A few things that maybe some of you probably know about. What can you tell me about these wells? Uh, Who would come to the wells to get water? Primarily the women of the town in the morning. Yeah, that's the second question, when? Which makes sense, why? Because it's warm and they've got to carry it back. And what you'll see culturally is it it, it could often almost, in a weird way, it was almost like a bar at times because they could send men there to meet women who were single. Because it was the young women who went to the well. Right? It's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, so culturally that would happen. Now, why in the world then? I mean, we don't know for sure. And maybe we're chasing chasing a rabbit trail that doesn't need to be chased. But this woman came alone at noon to the well. Yeah. The hottest part of the day. And I, you, not, not new to you, why, why was that? Chris had said something to that line. Like she, for some reason, she didn't want to come with everyone else. If Jesus knew she had five husbands, she most likely had a reputation, yeah. Yeah, and you can, you can and the details of that aren't as important as the fact that this lady was not in, a, in her best place, right? And you see this. I mean, the psychology of it, which is a different sermon, is it's not in our culture that half the, marriage, half the people get divorced. It's half the marriages in divorce. You see that? Because a lot of us, once we start, it's like Pringles, we can't stop. Right, like we lose that fear of like, I'm strong enough to be alone and if you don't please me, I'm out. And it's why you can see this over time that some people have five or six spouses while another couple might stay together. Other people learn the first time and and the second time they might stay together. But so you see this woman, you can see a pattern in her life. She's been through a whole heap. She doesn't feel good about herself. Because she's ashamed and she comes to the well when no one else is there. And she encounters this guy who asks her for a drink. Anything else you see wrong with the picture? Jesus talks to her, yeah, right? He knew she was going to be there. And this, my friends, if you want Jesus to be your Lord, if you want to follow him, you've got to come to grips with this reality that like God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, man, they know what you don't know. 
They see what you don't see. They're aware at a level you just won't be as long as you have this body in this place. And so it's no accident that he went through there. I mean, he is so intentional when you watch the life of Jesus. I mean, part of it was very much like he wanted to alienate, right, the religious faction. Like, <laughs> I'll show you. I'm going right where you tell me not to. But I'm leaving now because I'm, I can't kill you yet. I haven't built up the posse, right? Right? I haven't built up the guys and girls to carry out for me. So I'm going to go out here because if I stay here too long, you'll kill me now. But now is not the time for you to kill me. That's later. So he goes there. He meets with this woman who needs him. It's so unreligious. He didn't go to the town, to their centers of worship. He didn't go to challenge that. He didn't go to the governing board. He went to the lady who was so outcast she couldn't get water with the rest of the ladies. So here's where where I, I want to take you. Jesus brought his followers. Here, here's the other piece. All that's true. He brought his followers into a land that I'm just going to call it post-Jewish culture. Why do you say that, Will? Well, here's why. They had a great awareness. If you listen to this conversation between this woman and him, she had a great awareness of Jewish history. As a matter of fact, she claimed ownership of those families and this promise but she also claimed ownership and connection to the newer temple that was built and the worship that happened from her people. She drank the smoothie, okay? But she still considered herself, even though that, to, to be a worshiper of the one true God. Now, this is really a challenge that I feel as a pastor I need to bring to all of you is I think we need to understand that you and I live in a world that's tired of Christianity as a church, as a religion. And so we're still stuck in, let's go to the worship places. But Jesus did a whole new thing when he came to build his kingdom. He, he came into a post-Jewish culture, so he didn't enter it through the Jewish doors. He entered it through the people, the people who had need. So I think we can, we can glean something from how Jesus did this. And, and this sets up some more sermons and some conversations and some prayers that I have for our church and the leadership has here at the church, right? Now, I want to look at this because the whole point of going through John, one of them is that our faith and confidence in Christ would grow, but that we could go back to some of the basics because some of us learned these basics so long ago, we've easily forgotten them. And if anything from the scriptures, what we can see is the way that men and women work is God will part a Red Sea one day and the next day you're like, what are you gonna do for me, Jesus? Where did you go? Do you hate me now? And you'd be like, I, you know, I parted a Red Sea for you yesterday or last month. Not good enough. I need what I want today. Here's manna. No, meat, right? Here's meat. No, right? I wanna go back to Egypt. This is the way that we work, okay? So I, this is a great reminder. So how did Jesus approach it? What happened? Well, he talked to this lady, this lady who felt disqualified, who felt like she didn't matter, who felt ostracized. Here's what happened. Fast forward, verse 39, check in your Bibles. It says many, so he sends her to go find her husband. She takes off. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. She said, she took him through the Romans road, Corey. She, you know, told him the sinner's prayer, baptized him right there. And no, no, she told them, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they were like, what? Okay, let's go check this out. Well, why? Because there was a cultural dynamic at play about a savior, a Messiah. They came to see who is this man. And so when they came to him, they, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his word. This lady, and I know, I almost hate saying it because I feel like the same 
church, like you gotta go out and make your neighbors believe in Jesus. That's just not the way this works. But what we're doing, it doesn't work this way either. Right? It just doesn't work this way. This lady went humbled, broken down, without an agenda, but just said, let me tell you, he told me all that I ever did, and even though that's true, he still loved me. See, see, here's the thing, Mike. Like, you can't find someone who's homeless, right? And say, well, uh, believe in Jesus right now and I'll give you some food. No, what they're looking for, and you have to get out of this sort of like old Puritan downtrodden way. People need to see that life with Jesus, even though it's not easier all the time, it's what, what, what happens probably when it works, that's up to the Lord, right? Those who believe, it's really up to the Lord. Those who, who he reveals himself to will believe. We're faithful to be present and be a witness. So you've got an army of people, and that's what all these people can be part of. Pieces of an army just saying, let me tell you about this Jesus, man. He knew everything about me, and in spite of that, he still loved me. And this is the reason why I have hope. And you do that over a 12-month period, and while they're at it, they get healthier and better. Now you've got some people who are like, even if, even if they leave and you don't hear from them again, you have to know that something has happened. When everything was down and out, the people who had faith in God cared about me. Natalia is going to come share next week, and it's kind of fun. It's, kind of, it's going to be so fun to see. So Natalia, if you guys don't know, our church, one of the missionaries that we support is Ruth. She's in Oaxaca, Mexico. That's how you say it, not Oaxaca or whatever you want to say it. Okay? As fun as that is to say. Um, and, and Ruth does things that you wouldn't, that don't make a video, okay? Like loving missionary kids who have no place in the universe because their parents serve God translating the scriptures. You guys like the idea of translating scriptures? That sounds cool, right? Because everyone's like, oh, the nation's got to hear, right? You, you get excited about that. You don't get excited about a 12-year-old who has no place in the world, and if someone doesn't love on him, he won't even believe in Jesus, even though his people live, even though his parents live in Oaxaca in the villages, right? He doesn't have anyone to hug him or to play Nacho Libre with him or anything, right? Right? And then she meets these women whose own fathers sell them into sex traffic in sex slavery, or abuse them themselves. And guess what really fancy religious stuff they do? What's one thing they do for the women? Yeah, for the women down, downtown. They paint their net. Whoa, do they paint like it has to be scriptures on there? And they, no, oh God. See, it's very practical. So you guys, Christians, we got to get out of our head. We got to get out of our old ways. We've got to go in to the post-church world and, and use everything that you have, man. Whether it's a well, whether you're the crazy person in town, whether you're a farmer or a banker or retired or a real estate agent or you sell insurance or stock beer or teach school. truth is Jesus has come for thirsty men and women living in an increasingly post-church culture. What does that mean, post-church culture? Well, let me explain it to you like this. Let's just say you've got, you've got grandparents, right? Culturally, they went, they had Sunday best, right? They dressed a certain way and they went to church. Every Sunday. Um, all the people who went didn't necessarily live that because church was a professional thing that they did. There was a pastor, or maybe they had a faith with a priest, and that was the holy man. And you came there and you heard this good stuff, and then you did what you needed to and you went home. Other people really lived it. Okay? The kids, they sat in these metal or these wood seats called pews, and they had to sit through big church. And they had envelopes for giving where you would tell them if you read your Bible every day and kids would draw little pictures. And some parents were okay with that and some parents would be quiet, right? 
Okay, now that kid grew up, did not love the situation. Some did, and they got a suit, and they had kids that they did that too. But more and more people said, those seats are uncomfortable. Um, I, I don't like this, and casseroles make me sick at potluck. So I'm not going to go there. So they tell their kids about church, and every time they go to grandma's house, it's like, oh, I'm just praying for you, Billy. Right? Like, that's what happens, right? Yeah, oh, you got testify here, I think, right? Oh, you got to pull an ear too. This is an important part of it. Okay? This is an important part of it. So now you see the kid situation. Either they're like, I'm doing the same thing or I want no part of that. Right? That's the kid reaction. Parts of what your parents did, yes, I'm doing the same thing. The other parts, I'm doing exactly the opposite. So some of those kids stopped going and their parent, their kids kind of knew about Jesus, right? Because their, their parents would talk about it. They practiced a lot of the ritual of holidays. Um, their grandparents made them go to church sometimes. They did go to VBS. Okay. Now, but they were even more disconnected. So they had kids and they're like, grandma and grandpa died, went home to be with the Lord. The new grandpa and grandma didn't really raise the kids who are the parents in church. Then the parents' kids are like, Jesus who? They come to the school, they meet me and they say, oh, so you're like a priest? And I'm like, okay, you've never been to like a Christian church. You don't know the way this works. I get it. Okay, post-church culture. So you, Corey's like, hey, go invite your classmates to church. They're like, church? Yeah. Okay, because what happens in the school is instead of like combat boots or hippies or goth kids, now you have trans kids. Okay, and a lot of them has nothing to do with sexual orientation. And the Christian kids hate on them. They hate on the kids who dress a certain way. They hate on the rocker kids at one time. They hate on the goth kids. They hate on the gangster rap kids, Right? They hate on the trans kids and the Christians who are trying to love them. Their Christian friends are like hating on them. You're not getting them to, to Sunday school. But the church keeps doing VBS where all the Christian churches in town bring their kids for babysitting. And all the people in church sit there and say, Oof, how can we get people to come back to church? See, what we do is Jesus would come into Samaria. He'd go to the the Jewish fellowships who are closer to the original faith, because you know they had, they had their worship. He'd go there and say, we got to get all those Samaritans into church. And that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He went to this woman who was clearly doing wrong. And he didn't tell her it was okay. Fast forward to the end, he's like, stop doing what you were doing, right? Like, just stop. Like, no, you're, you're destroying yourself. Don't do this. But he, he loved her right where he knew that her thirst wasn't about water. It was about love, about acceptance, about having a place, about having worth. And all the people around us, no matter what you think in your view, no matter what's true or, or wrong, and, and we lost track of that. And the world around us, everywhere that you're going, it's full of people that just need to hear, he told me everything I ever did and love, but love me anyway. And that he would do the same thing for you. And this is the reason for my hope. Okay. Now, Another danger. Guys, this is more than I can tell you in one Sunday, but this should flavor. It's kind of like vinegar in your cup. You're, uh, there's still some vinegar even later. This is going to flavor the next conversations, the next drinks that we have. But, but part of the problem is I think we've lost track of our, we've lost uh, the reality of our gratefulness. Because I think where we go wrong is like go into the world and tell them the reason you have hope. But guess what? You don't got anything to tell them. You don't have anything to tell them because you don't feel hopeful right now. Well, Pastor Will made me tell, invite three back to church day. Three people came to church. You want to come to my church? I know you, Will. You're like pretty angry, right? Yeah. Like, I see you yell at your wife a bunch. You don't seem to be that happy. 
yeah, yeah, that's all true. But guess what? I go to church on Sunday. I give them my whole day, and then I give them 10% of what I make too. And they're like, ooh, where can I sign up for that? You seem to have a lot of reason to be helpful. And by the way, I hate certain political parties and not the others, and this world's going to heck. And they're like, sign on. Where can I sign on for this? Like, this is not it. This is like, guys, guess what? Man, this is, let me tell you, I'm struggling. You ever see a person cry and smile at the same time? To me, that's being a Christian. Like, why are you, you look like you're crying, but you got to smile. It's like, this sucks right now, but I'm going to be all right. And that's the reason for my hope. I might still be sick. I might still be tired. I might still be fighting with my kids or my wife. This is not easy. It was never supposed to be easy. But you have a reason for your hope. And that's all the world needs to know. And that could be so many ways. But before we get that, this is part of my job. I want to keep reminding you of Wow, like why we should be so grateful. Because when you are grateful, you can't help but share it. You can't help but share it. Wow, I went to the coffee shop and they missed, Sue, they, they caramel macchiato. That's not what the guy wanted. So that extra one, they said, do you want it? I got it free. Coffee, I love that place, right? Like, you are grateful. You're telling people. Right? Don't you know when, when, the, when the brisket's on sale? I mean, somebody tells you, right? Like, you know that. Like, people are excited about that. They're not excited about a kingdom, especially as the world gets worse. You guys have a great opportunity, Right? You have a great opportunity because I think we can't argue that the world's not getting worse. What you don't need to do is take one of their sides because they're competing about who can try to make it worse. Right? Jesus didn't come. Jesus came. Don't forget this. Please don't forget this, okay? Because I will drive you out of the church forever until if you don't believe this, okay? Because you're just, I'm going to keep saying this. You're going to be more and more angry with me. But when Jesus came, the Jews and the Romans wanted him to pick a side. He said, I got God's side, but I'm, but I'm not going to disgrace either one of you. Pilate was trying to get him to choose the Roman side. He totally was trying to get him. Just come my way a little bit and you won't die. And he's like, mm. And the Jews are like, will you come choose our side against the Romans? He goes, that's not why I'm here. You're all wrong. God is right. And he made you so you have a chance because Jesus' ministry Saved Samaritans, it saved Romans, it saved Jews, right? Greeks, like all. People from Prescott Valley. People from Germany and France, Austria. Mennonite boys and girls, right? Catholic boys and girls. Who came to know Jesus. That's awesome, right? Man, what if when we got together, so here's what this is. The reason why we're getting together, and then I'm gonna stop, okay? The reason why we're getting together is because alone, you're gonna be easily discouraged and you're gonna forget really quick. So when Jesus established the church, he was gonna go take care of everything like the planets not colliding with each other, okay? Important stuff, gravity still coming, meteorites missing the earth, all, you know, Armageddon, so it doesn't happen like the movie, Okay, and even crazy things like somehow that car nearly missed you from killing you and you're still alive or people who have cancer and God is up to so many things that he raised up his people who were grateful and grateful enough that they said, I'm yours, let me be your body while you're taking care of everything else. And then he put a place where those people could gather and they could cry, and they could get angry together, and happy together, and cry together, laugh together, baby showers, and weddings, and potlucks. We love that part, right? And, and everything, and we can go to schools, and coach sports, and give people jackets, and help homeless people. Help people in nursing homes, and children, and daycares, and all the things that people do in the name of Jesus to love one another. Coffee shops, to notice a man that no one notices, who just needed someone to say hi to him. Because the grateful people can't help but say, man, 
I know, and it's hard because what I'm going to tell you is whatever you're going through now, it's like if you have Jesus and you have eternity with him, I mean, you got it. Now act like you do. Act like you do. But be honest. The world's tired of dishonest. Too many news stories about Christian people doing stupid things. Okay. I want the praise team to come on up. Now, by, by all means, I, I want to keep asking you, and the way that this works is, this is a, this is a house where, where ministers are sent out in a lot of ways. Like, each one of you, you go to places that I can't go. It's just not my, my job in the kingdom. The reason why I'm up here speaking to you is because I have a thing broken in my head where I'm not afraid to talk in front of you. And some of you guys would be afraid, right? So, so God uses me in spite of my stupidity most of the time. And I guarantee you, if you know me for a long time or even a short time, I will disappoint you greatly, okay? And, and then you'll be like, the cool thing is I think if I'm honest, you'll be like, yeah, I kind of knew Will would probably blow it that some way, right? Yeah, I understand. There's, there's a level of blowing it I can't do, but, but there is a level like not sending an email out to remind you about a lunch. So those things can happen. But hopefully I didn't lie to you so much that you think I am, in, I am incapable of making a mistake. I will make mistakes and so will you. Okay. But we come together and each one of you, part of my job is one, I want to remind you that this is simultaneously a faith that asks you to trust in Jesus on a moment-by-moment basis and constantly coming to him for all your thirst. For all your thirst. Don't be ashamed that you have it. The reason you have it is because when you were created, you were created to be with God. With Jesus, where every thirst was satisfied. Like really, don't don't put your list on that because you don't know what it's going to look like. But every thirst, everything inside of you, it would be satisfied. And then they put you in a place where none of it was there. And then it's like feel ashamed because you have the thirst to have love, to have identity, to feel special and chosen. Yeah, you were created to feel that way. Now, the problem, the hard part for each one of us is how can we, why we're here to the best of our ability, continue to connect to the Lord Jesus and the Heavenly Father through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit so that our thirsts are being met and not in the ways the world is telling us. And yes, God uses physical things. Like if you don't drink, you will die. So God somehow has to get you some water if he doesn't want you to die, okay? And your, your back itches, maybe the Holy Spirit can scratch it. Maybe you need somebody to scratch it for you, okay? But all that is the provision of God. So our, our point is this, is one, what I want you to ask first and foremost, it's cool to have a little reflective time. So they're gonna play some music and it feels less intimidating if there's some music in the background. It creates an environment for whatever reason where you can kind of pause and ask God. So I want you to ask God two things, okay? One, I want you to ask him, like, I want you to show me, Lord. Just show me where you're working in my life. Maybe that's too big for you, but like, show me something to be excited about. Show me, show me something I can be grateful about of what you're doing. Okay? And hold on to that really dear. And the second question you might not even be able to get to right now. That's okay. But maybe some of you already, maybe God has you on this, so I want to give you assignment two. Okay, assignment two is where in my life is, are you positioning me, God, where I can just share how grateful I am? Did you see that? Until you know that you're grateful, you can't share it. 
So I want to pray. I'm just going to start that out with that simple question. And, and, and like I said, man, that might just be what you need to sit in today. And when you go out from here, maybe, maybe that's what you could talk about. Like, imagine this, Randy. You know, people, though, churches have taught, taught them this is not a bad thing, okay? Nothing wrong with this. You go to lunch. You're like, can I pray for you to the waitress? Okay? Not that that's bad. But what if, what if you could talk about gratefulness with the waitress? What if she could turn her mind for the minute from all the burden of her labor to what she's grateful about, to the reason she's doing that? What if you did that simple thing? In the world where it's like, it's like a tornado around you and the Christian's just like, right? Like, yeah, yeah, it's just, you could see it, right? That's what the world's gonna see. Everything's falling apart, but you aren't what's up. That's enough words, let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the men and women that are here today, Lord, anyone who's listening to this online. Lord, we are thirsty men and women, thirsty for identity, thirsty for love in all its weird forms, Lord. We want a purpose and significance and, and everyone's trying to give us that. Everyone's trying to give us a belonging, but we just throw that down right now because we belong to you. So Jesus, I, I pray. I pray for me, Lord, would you just reveal to me and help me just to receive the truth, the truth that will cause me just to be grateful for what you're doing in my life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak, speak to all the men and the women here, whether they've never really heard from you before or they, they talk to you all the time, that you would that you would encounter their thoughts and their feelings right now, Lord, that you would speak to them this truth, that you would just raise up. That way, by the time the music is playing and the songs are sung, that we would just be grateful that you knew everything about me, Lord, all the bad stuff, all the good stuff, and you love me anyway. We praise you, Jesus, for your patience and your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness but also for your truth, for never changing, for being honest with us and always helping us through. We just pray, Jesus, because of what you did in your power and in your name. Amen.